Let me put it this way. I, I, like, I like to think that God is real. I don't believe in God because the idea that an omniscient, loving being would judge me who is mortal and ignorant based on a few years' experience, I find to be rather a cruel thought. All the power that God has, he, she, it has given to me. So we're definitely one. I hope I hope there's there's something else out there. It'd be it'd be fun to experience either that or we're all just evolved apes. Um, I was raised atheist. I don't believe in a higher power, but I also don't claim to know everything about the world. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I just pretend, I guess, and hope that there's something else out there. Well, good morning. It is so good for me to be back in sunny Chicago. Uh, I started in ministry here. I went to Trinity Seminary. Uh, I started at uh, Willow Creek as the first director of evangelism. I was here many years. I now live in Colorado, and I flew from one snowstorm to another snowstorm on Friday, and I'm so glad it's settled down, and it really is good to be here, and I'm honored to speak at Christ Church. As I lived in Chicago, I often heard about this church and the reputation it had and the ways God is working here, but I've never spoken here, and so it's an honor to do so this morning. Um, I have a very important topic to cover, and I'm excited to jump in, but I first just want to answer the question all at once about my hand. Uh, people are wondering, you know, like, what happened? Did you get in a fight? What did the other guy look like? And that's not what happened. Uh, but thankfully, when it did happen, someone was there to catch a snapshot of, of me. So uh, let me put that picture up. Um, yeah. yeah. That's me. That's after I saved the three kids that were hanging from my feet and then had to pull myself up. It was really tough. But I'm okay. I'm not a hero. Please, you know, let's not make a big deal out of it. I don't think you're buying that story, are you? The real truth is I was turning a bolt on my lawnmower and I tore a ligament in my wrist. I just wish I had a better story, um, but I had surgery and am recovering. So uh, after the service, I'd be happy to give you a little gentle hand bump. I, I, I can't shake your hand, but, um, but anyway, I'm okay and it's great to be here. Does God exist? Well, there you go. Yep. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> easy. That was easy. You know, you may come to church this morning and think, why are we asking this question? I mean, we spent the first half of the service worshiping God and praying to God. Uh, I would assume most of us believe in God. Uh, why do we have to convince the already convinced? And my answer to that is we live in a culture that is increasingly attacking this idea and walking away from belief in God. So at minimum, we need to know the answers to this question so that we can help people around us, people in our family or in our neighborhood or at our workplace or our school who have doubts about the existence of God and really wonder. Um, But also, even we as believers sometimes can have doubts Sometimes we can say, you know, I was raised believing this, my parents believe it, but how do I know it's true? I mean, I haven't seen God, I can't feel him, you know, I can't touch him. How do I know it's real? Well, that's a good question. It's an important, fundamental question, right? 
Uh, and again, as I say, it's one that in our culture is really under attack. A, a few years back, uh, over in England, uh, there was a very vivid picture of this because a bunch of the skeptics and atheists and free thinkers there got their money together. And they said, you know, we have all these big buses with all the, you know, they got a lot of real estate on the side of them. Why don't we buy some signs and put them on the buses all over England and, you know, kind of tell people, in case they're deluded into the superstitious belief that there is a God, there probably is no God. And I appreciate that they said probably. You know, that's humble of them, right? Probably is no God, so stop worrying and just enjoy your life. Well, that's a pretty tame example of the kinds of attacks that we're seeing these days, isn't it? Especially if you spend any time on the Internet or Facebook or Twitter, you know, if you interact with people who don't believe, uh, more and more there's people who mock the idea of God and, and attack it. And more and more books, you go in the religious book uh, section of a lot of bookstores, and even though it's the religion section, a lot of the books are just tearing down God. You know, Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion. You know, he's the guy that says if you believe in God, you're deluded and you might be mentally ill. Nice guy. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, you know, who says God is not great and religion poisons everything. And on and on and on. That's what's happening in our culture. And many people, especially young people, are walking away from their faith. And so we have to get serious about answering this question and helping people who are exploring God see that, yes, it makes sense to follow uh, to believe in God and to follow Christ. Uh, even uh, my best friend, uh, who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, he grew up in a traditional Protestant church. He was taught the Bible stories. You know, he knew what he was supposed to do. He was baptized. Uh, he went through confirmation class, and he passed the test. He, he knew the answers. He graduated. Um, but as he says it, you know, he realized that, that as he was going through that process, he believed less and less because he had science classes at school that were telling him, you don't need God. We know where life came from. It happened naturally. It's natural selection. It's survival of the fittest. You know, we, and, and what happened was, even though he was hearing all this at church, he said, when I got confirmed, when I graduated from that class, I viewed it as my graduation out of this nonsense, out of believing in God. He became an affirmed atheist and locked into that point of view. And this is happening, again, more and more all around us. So what can we say about it? You know, I mean, one, one more thing. I want to give you a verse, a verse from Luke 18.8. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, you know, when the Son of Man comes back, when I return, will he find faith on earth? Now, the Bible acknowledges that there would be more and more disbelief as we get closer and closer to the end, and that people would turn away from what they once knew or what they had been taught. And so again, so important. And I have good news. We have great answers to this question. In fact, we have way more than I can give you in the short message slot, and I'm going to tell you about some things you can read to get more of that information uh, toward the end of the message. But you know, there's much that can be said and much information from science, from history, from philosophy, from logic, from experience, from archaeology, on and on and on, that points to the truth that God does exist. And what I want to do is talk kind of briefly through six points 
Um, and I'm going to start with some science because, uh, you know, I know some people th- say, well, why don't you just quote a good Bible verse that says, here he is, God created, God exists, God is real. The problem is, and the reason I don't start that way, is that our friends who don't believe in God don't believe the Bible either, or at least many of them do not. And so, you know, the nature of what we need to do is start where they are and bring them to where they need to be. And if they don't believe in God, or they don't believe in the Bible, then where can we start? Well, most people believe in science. Most people believe in history. So I want to start in those areas, and I want to start with science. And, uh, and some of this, this isn't hard science. This, is, this first one is more observation. Uh, the first one says that God has revealed himself through the design in the universe. And the classic version of this came back like 200 years ago when a guy named William Paley wrote a book, and he he used this illustration. You probably heard it. It's kind of the classical illustration. You're walking along a path, and you see something. You you reach down, you pick it up, and it's a watch. And when you see a watch, you know that there's design in a watch. And where there's design, there has to be a designer. I mean, no one picks up a watch on the trail and says, praise the cosmos. You know, look what time and chance accidentally threw together here. You know, we we know that, that a watch needs a watchmaker. But I love what my friend Cliff Connectly says. He says, if you have a watch on, take a look at it, and then look an inch over at your wrist. And he says, you know, if watches need watchmakers, wrists need wrist makers. And guess what? There's far more complexity in your wrist than there is in your watch. I know. I said surgery on mine. I, I know the mechanics of this a little bit more. It's complex. We are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And so he says, you know, your wrist needs a wrist maker, but I want to take it one step further. Get out a microscope and look at your wrist really close so you can see the cells. By the way, you can do this later. You don't have to do that right now. Um, but get down to where you can see the cell at a microscopic level, and guess what you discover? The cell has far more complexity than the mechanics of your wrist. In fact, I want to read to you a description, just a paragraph or two, from Dr. Michael Denton, a molecular biologist, who, this is very important, he is not a Christian, Okay? So this is not a believer talking here. But here's what he says about the cell. He says, To grasp the reality of life as it has been revealed by molecular biology, we must magnify a cell a thousand million times until it is 20 kilometers in diameter and resembles a giant airship large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. Okay? Or I'll say Chicago. So can you picture this? You've probably seen the movie, right? You know, this... Spaceship that's so big it covers the entire city. He said, magnify a cell until it looks that big. And he says, what you'll then see and discover is that this is an object of unparalleled complexity and adaptive design. On the surface of the cell, you will see millions of openings, like the portholes of a vast spaceship, opening and closing to allow a continual stream of materials to flow in and out. And if we were to enter one of those openings, we would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity. And then I love this question a non-believer asks. He says, is it really credible that random processes 
could have constructed a reality which is complex beyond our own creative capacities, a reality which is the very antithesis of chance, which excels in every sense anything ever produced by the intelligence of man? Does that make sense, he asks? And his obvious answer is no, even though he doesn't really know where this complexity and design and order came from. Well, I think we do. And I think, you know, when you see a watch, you know there's a watchmaker. When you see a wrist, there's a wrist maker. And when you look at that cell, there's a cell maker. And it's quite an intelligent being that must have put that complexity together. Complexity that goes beyond the space shuttle. It's incredible. And this whole design argument and evidence for God, it's not just when you look through a microscope, you turn and look through a telescope. Uh, One of the heads of the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, Dr. Robert Jastrow, an agnostic, just through his study of the order of the universe and, and the evidence there, reached a point where he said there must be a divine being, a creator. And he ended up writing a book called God and the Astronomers. So, you know, wherever you look, there is design, and wherever there is design, it points to a designer. And I think that's strong evidence that God, yes, does exist. But let me go on to a second way God reveals himself, and that's through fine-tuning. And this is kind of the first argument on steroids, okay? Fine-tuning means not just that there's design, but very specific design that got everything just so, just right, just the way it needed to be so that life could exist. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a bunch of areas, they call them cosmological constants, that had to be perfectly dialed in the way they are or we wouldn't be here. And by the way, when I wrote the book, Confident Faith, I said there's about 50 of these. Well, I uh, more recently, and this is a few years later, I've been speaking at a bunch of science conferences in different places where there's people that live in that world all the time. They said, man, Mark, you're you're a little behind. There aren't 50. There's more like 250 of these. We just keep getting more and more evidence, scientific reasons to believe that God had to be behind the creation. So what are we talking about, fine-tuning? What do I mean? Well, the way it's been described to me, and I think this is a good illustration, I think it's helpful, is to say it's like there's 50 dials in the sky. In fact, I'm looking at the video here. Just pretend each one of those boards that you see on the, the pattern there. Each of those is a dial, okay? And everyone is precisely tuned in right where it has to be to, as, as it said, a razor's edge of precision. And if it's, if it's just off by a little bit, if you bump one with your elbow, we're toast. Or we freeze to death. Or we're just not going to be here to think about it, okay? And these are all independent of each other, and they're all perfectly dialed in exactly where they need to be. And the question is, how did they get that way? There's nothing logically that said they had to be where they are so life can exist. And yet, they just are. And this is so astonishing that even secular scientists, like Dr. Fred Hoyle, a cosmologist who's an atheist, he looked at this evidence and he said, you know, uncanny. You know, he's like, what, what, what do we do with this? He said, it's almost, and I love this, he goes, it's almost like someone was monkeying with the physics. I'm thinking, almost? 
I mean, astonishing. You've got 250 dials perfectly dialed in. Almost. I think you're right, Dr. Hoyle. And in fact, I would also add, wherever there's monkeying going on, there's probably a divine monkeyer behind it. These things don't happen by themselves. Uh, Fine-tuning points to an intelligent fine-tuner. Now, let me just, before I uh, move on, let me give you one example of this from a book called The Case for a Creator, uh, where a scientist who just gave his life to studying this stuff, this one argument, this one area, uh, Dr. Robin Collins was asked, you know, you know, give us an example of just one of those dials, okay? And put it in practical terms so we can see how incredible the odds are against this happening by chance. He said, would love to. Let's talk about the cosmological constant, which he explained is the energy density of empty space. Now, you were probably just reading about that this morning, right? Uh, I love this. You know, there are scientists that give their lives to studying the energy density of empty space. God bless them, huh? Um, But anyway, here's what Dr. Collins says. He says, well, there's no way we can really comprehend it. The fine-tuning has conservatively been estimated to be at least one part in a hundred million, billion, 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 billion. That would be a 10 followed by 53 zeros. And I love this. That's inconceivably precise. Really? I would say so. Do you understand what they're saying here? They're saying the odds of that one dial, the cosmological constant, being dialed in the way it is to the level of precision it had to be, the odds of that happening by chance are 1 to 10 to the 53rd power. Now, Dr. Collins said, let me give you an example of what that 10 to the 53rd power would look like, that kind of odd. He says, it would be like if you're in outer space and you have one dart, okay, and you have to hit a target on Earth that is a trillionth of a trillionth of an inch in diameter. <laughs> so your target is smaller than an atom. You're in outer space. You have one dart. You get one shot. The chances of you hitting that target right in the middle is 1 to 10 to the 53rd power. And that's just the odds on one of these 250 dials. And all the other ones have similar odds against them. And yet they're all right where they had to be so we can be here today. Do you think that happened by chance? I mean, I like the way a friend of mine says, he says, you know, by comparison, the lottery looks like a sure bet. I mean, this, the odds against this, they're virtually impossible. And yet there's a lot of people who don't believe in God who think we just got lucky, we hit the jackpot, we, you know, we won the lottery, uh, we got in the right universe where we could live. Boy, how fortunate we are. Well, we're fortunate, but not because we got lucky. I think this points powerfully back to the fact that God has revealed himself to be the wisdom, the, the, the force behind this fine-tuning. He is a divine fine-tuner who lovingly put everything just the way it needed to be so that we could be here today. By the way, there was a journalist who uh, worked at the Sun-Times here who didn't believe in God, a guy named Patrick Glenn, who studied just this evidence in depth 
and reached a point where he said there must be a God, and he ended up becoming a Christian. He wrote a book called God the Evidence. And I'm telling you, this is more and more, this is getting stronger. Science increasingly is pointing to what we believe as Christians. Let me give you one more kind of mix of science and logic. Uh, and this is, you know, God, number three, God has revealed himself in the origins of the universe. Now, the classical way of talking about this is to call it the cosmological argument. But I want to give you a form of it that comes from a former professor of mine at Trinity Seminary right down the road. Uh, he doesn't teach there any longer, but uh, one of the top defenders of Christianity on the planet, Dr. William Lane Craig, uh, he describes it like this. He says it's really a three-part argument, simple argument really, but here's the three parts. He said, number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. I mean, we don't believe things just popped into existence on their own, right? You know, you walk into the room, there's a big ball in the middle of the floor. You don't believe that's a self-caused being that's always existed. Someone made it and someone put it there, right? We just know this intuitively. Science is built on this whole idea that, you know, you, you see an effect, you try to get at the cause behind it. Uh, Einstein said the scientific mind is seized by a sense of universal causation. So whatever has a beginning has a cause. That's the first premise. Second premise is the universe had a beginning. And that may not be a revelation to you, but a lot of people in science used to believe the universe was eternal. And then through the study of science about 100 years ago, they began to see uh, the, the red shift. The, they call it the Doppler effect. They could see that the universe is expanding and spreading out. And then they just kind of rolled the tapes back and said, if it's going that way now, it must have been this way before. And they, through all kinds of calculations, they figured out that at some point, a long time ago, the entire universe was one compact, tiny, microscopic, really metaphysical point called a singularity. There's the universe. All the physical world was compacted into this little point called a singularity. And then for reasons they cannot explain, in physics for which there's no formula, boom, there's a universe that expanded in a fraction of a nanosecond, and there it is. And Dawkins believes this, and, and Stephen Hawking believed this, and uh, scientists all over the world believe this, that this big bang happened, and there's the universe. And they can't explain it. They call it science. But they're just describing a miracle they can't explain. Now, I know some Christians, they get a little nervous about this. I don't believe in any Big Bang. I believe God created. And my response is, well, I believe God created too, but do you think maybe it made a little noise? Um, these are not enemy concepts. I mean, they're not fighting each other. Uh, science is catching up with theology for generations and, and centuries Theologians have said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing, God created everything. Now science is saying, out of nothing, boom, there was the entire physical universe. We go, way to go, you caught up. You're, you're scientifically describing what the, what the Bible tells us. And just to finish the formula, whatever begins to exist... Uh, has a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Okay? 
The universe has a cause. And that may not sound like a big deal, but logically now we can talk about what that cause looks like, again, without even quoting a Bible verse. First of all, if the entire physical universe came about at this creation event, then the cause of it cannot be physical. What's left? Spiritual? I would say that the cause of the universe must be logically spiritual because it's not physical. Secondly, proponents of the Big Bang Theory say when that explosion happened, time itself began at that moment. You go, okay, then the cause of the universe is outside of time. That's interesting. What do you call that? I call it eternal. Third, the cause of the universe had to have enough power to you know, create this incredible expanse of physical objects in a fraction of a nanosecond. What kind of power is that? Sounds like omnipotence to me. And then had to, he had to have the knowledge, the wisdom, to know how to dial in these 250 dials to a razor's edge of precision. By the way, that had to happen within that fraction of a nanosecond when the universe exploded into being. What kind of knowledge does it take to do that? A lot of wisdom, a lot of smarts, I would say. I might call that omniscience. And then I think the fact that it was all dialed in perfectly so that life could exist was a very loving thing to do. And I might throw in one more, and that is pretty artistic, too, because it's not just, you know, a hundred shades of gray, right? We have color. We have beautiful sunrises and sunsets and hummingbirds and beautiful flowers and just gorgeous scenery all around us. I think we're, we're describing an artistic, loving, spiritual, eternal, powerful, wise being who sounds very suspiciously similar to someone I read about in a book called Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth lovingly so that humans could exist and so that there could be life all around us. So you see how science and logic has gotten us back to the point where Scripture has revealed a God who is that kind of God, that kind of being that this argument describes. This is good news, friends. We do not have to run from this stuff. And in fact, I was, before I go on to the other arguments, I just want to tell you briefly, these, these arguments, you may think this sounds a little academic. Well, guess what? In academic circles, these are very compelling arguments. I mentioned Dr. William Lane Craig. Uh, he goes around the world debating this stuff and is, is winning his debates. It has been for decades. Uh, some of you that have been around a while might remember back in the early 90s, I hosted a debate at Willow Creek where we brought in William Lane Craig and an atheist. We had almost 8,000 people show up. It was broadcast live on 117 radio stations all around the country. And it was just like a shootout on, you know, the evidence. You know, does God exist? Where does the evidence point? And the evidence was overwhelming. Dr. Craig used this argument and the other arguments I've already mentioned and pointed to the logic that supports the existence of God. And we asked the people at the end to vote on the very question we're talking about today. Does God exist based on the evidence you've heard tonight? And 97% said yes, the evidence stands. 
Now, what's really interesting about this is uh, we, on the ballot we said, are you a Christian? When you walked in here, were you a Christian or not? And of those, some 800 people that were there that night said, I'm not a Christian, 82% of them said the evidence for God was stronger. And get this, by the time they left that night, 47 of those people had become Christians. And not one person became an atheist that night. The evidence is really strong. I love this story, too. Uh, More recently, a bunch of Christians over in England brought William Lane Craig there, and uh, they said, let's bring him to Oxford, have him speak at the famous Sheldonian Theater, and let's have him debate Richard Dawkins, the most famous atheist in the world, the guy who wrote The God Delusion. He thinks we're crazy? Let him debate this crazy Christian named William Lane Craig. So they tried to set up a debate. Dawkins refused. It's like he'll debate Christian actors and bishops and pastors, but he didn't want to debate this Christian scholar named Bill Craig. So he refused, and said, they said, well, he's going to refute your book then. So you know, why don't you just come debate him at the Sheldonian Theater? He wouldn't come. So they just let him come and give a talk instead. And you can watch that on YouTube. It's powerful. But I love this. The Christian said, you know, Dawkins and his buddies, the atheists, put those signs up on the buses back then. You know, there's probably no God. We could buy some signs, too, because you know, he, he's gone AWOL. We can't find Richard Dawkins. He will not show up for this debate. So they said, let's buy some signs for the buses ourselves. And they did. I thought you might like seeing it. <laughs> Isn't that great? The, you know, in the same style as those other signs. There's probably no Dawkins. We're not sure the guy even exists. We can't find him. Um, show me evidence he exists. Uh, And then now stop worrying and enjoy October 25th at the Sheldonian Theater at Oxford. And uh, they had some fun with it, and I enjoy that, and I hope you do too, because I just want you to know Christians are not on the run with their tail between their legs. We are winning in the marketplace of ideas because the evidence for God is strong. And if you're a Christian, you can be confident in that. And if you're not, why aren't you? The evidence points to what we believe. Uh, Let me give you a couple real quick other examples. The fourth one is God reveals himself in human history. And you're going to have some other messages in this Explore God series that go more into that. But what I mean is, I mean, through miracles in the Old Testament, the ways God delivered Moses and the uh, Israelites from, the, from Egypt, and then the, way, the miracles he did to get them into the promised land, the, the miracles um, later through the prophets who predicted the Messiah coming, Then Jesus came and fulfilled those prophecies. Then Jesus did miracles in front of hostile eyewitnesses. Uh, And then Jesus said, I'll prove this is all true. If you, you kill me three days later, I'm coming back alive. And then he did it. I don't know about you. I always want to follow, you know, if if my options of who to follow include someone who predicted his own death and rose from the, you know, dead as he predicted, I'm going with that guy. And that's what we have. I mean, God has revealed himself in powerful ways all throughout human history. And that's one you can study a whole lot more. And then number five, God has revealed himself in our lives. And think about this. This is even true if you're not a Christian. Because you still feel a sense of right and wrong. You still have a conscience We all walk around with this moral sense that is above us that we can't live up to. Where did that come from? 
Why would we ourselves invent a moral standard that makes us feel bad all the time, one that we can't ever live up to? Well, the answer is we didn't invent that. God put it there. That is part of what it means to be created in the image of a holy God. So in our experience, even as not, you know, before we're believers, in our experience, we sense God's voice, his, his presence through our consciences. And then as believers, I mean, this is where I wish we had time and a microphone. We could just go down the row and say, what has God done in your life? What is he, you know, we heard a, a video earlier. God is active in our lives. He's changing us. He's intervening. He's helping us. He's answering prayers. In some cases, he's, he's done miraculous things, maybe healings in, in some of our lives. Uh, God is active in us. And so, like the old song says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You ask me how I know he's alive, I talked to him this morning. And he talks to me, and sometimes he redirects me, and sometimes he encourages me. And God's very active in my life, and so I have a lot of reasons to believe. Now, I want to go to one more point, but before I do, I just want to uh, show you uh, some reading. Let me, let me say a couple things on this. First of all, I think a lot of our friends are three or four good answers away from trusting in Christ. I don't know if you know that. A lot of people, they just need someone like you to really study these kinds of things we're talking about during the series and to give them some answers, or better yet, bring them here. Uh, it's where they can hear it directly. Or bring them to one of these discussion groups and join it and get your friends there. A lot of our friends are just a few answers away from trusting in Christ. And a lot of us are just three or four good books away from really knowing how to give those answers. And so I just want to show you a couple books that I've produced that I've written to try to help all of us give good answers, to be confident. And uh, because it's still football season, I'm going to describe this in football terms, even though I know no one in Chicago cares about football anymore because the wrong team isn't in right now. But, um, but this is my offense on the left, my defense on the right, okay? The offense, is, it's called Confident Faith, and in that book I give 20 reasons for the Christian faith. Some of what I've already talked about, reasons from science, history, archaeology, logic, experience, uh, the Bible, the life of Jesus, the resurrection, and so forth. And I did write that also in a way that you can give to a non-Christian. So this is a book you can give to people that are trying to figure this all out. And then the other book on the right side is called The uh, Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. This is my defense. And we surveyed 1,000 Christians all over the country, said, what are the questions you're afraid of? You know, what, do you, what do you not want someone to ask you? And then I wrote chapters on each of those 10 questions. So offense, defense, I think you put them together and you'll have a really good repertoire of reasons that you can share with your friends and resources you can give to your friends. And I would especially say young people whose faith is under attack, put these books in their hands, especially before they go away to a secular college. They have to be armed with this kind of information. And so we've got those books out there. They're having a sale. I'll be out there afterwards. By the way, I'm left-handed. If you want me to sign your book, I can do it with my left hand. Um, so no problem there. But I hope you'll avail yourself of those resources. Final way I want to talk about right now of how God, you know, how we know God exists. 
He'll reveal himself to you. If you're not one of the believers who already knows him, and you don't relate to my fifth point, then the sixth point is for you, and that is if you open yourself up, if you want him to, if you seek him, God will reveal himself to you. And I want to put up a verse. When I say if you want him to, I say that because according to Romans 1, it says, you know, God will make it plain to you, but we tend to suppress the truth by our wickedness. In other words, when we want to go our own way, we don't want anyone telling us what to do. We don't need a God, you know, giving us his rules. and all. Then we suppress that truth. We keep God at arm's length. And maybe some of you have been doing that for a long time. You've been pushing God away. And I just want to say, he'll let you do that. But why do you want to do that? Don't you think the God of the universe, the God that can dial it all in and create all this wonder and beauty, don't you think he knows how to run your life better than you do? Stop pushing him away and suppressing the truth and open up and say, God, if you're real, show me. Uh, Or as the guy said to Jesus, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Pray that kind of prayer honestly. And as the next verse says in Matthew 7, Jesus said, if you ask, if you knock, if you seek, it'll open. If you seek, you will find. And that was an invitation from Jesus to you to seek the truth. I want to end by telling you my atheist friend who locked into atheism, lived that way for a long time, became a well-known journalist here in Chicago, worked for the Chicago Tribune, And then one day, his young wife, Leslie, came and said, hey, i got news for you. I've become a Christian. Which, for him as an atheist, was the worst possible news you could get. Because he thought, oh, no, I'm married to a Jesus freak. This is awful. i got to get her out of this cult. And he began to study, and he began to look at the kinds of things I've shared with you this morning, as well as the resurrection of Christ. He really studied that. And after two years of researching, he says, there is a God. And he gave his life to Christ. And some of you know who I'm talking about. My best friend that I've been talking about in this service is Lee Strobel, the guy who wrote The Case for Christ. And then there was the movie. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, uh, The Case for Christ movie. Uh, An ardent atheist who looked at the evidence with an open mind. And Lee reached a point where he said, it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than it would to become a Christian. And so he became a Christian. And I, today I'm ministry partners with Lee, and we write together and speak together. But here's why I tell you his story. If you don't know him, you need to do what Lee did. You need to seek, and you will find. If you take it seriously, God will reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you left clues all over the universe and all over our lives. Thank you that you don't leave us wandering in the dark or taking blind leaps of faith, but you've given us reasons to know and believe and trust in you. So, Lord, give us confidence. For those of us who know you, give us a confident faith and and the boldness to share it with other people. And for any here or any listening at any of the sites or online who don't know you yet, Lord, 
help them to see this is true, this is real, and help them to take a risk to open their life up to you because I know it's the best risk they could ever take. And so draw them to you, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.